So last week, if you were here, we took a break from our series in 1 Corinthians, and we looked at the entire book of Jude, all 24 verses of it. Uh, This morning, we jumped back into our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Paul begins a new section in chapter 12. This section spans three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. The main topic or theme um, of these three chapters is spiritual gifts. Uh, If you remember, chapter 11 was a super challenging passage for me to preach and and, and probably for you to even hear. Uh, Chapter 12 is not much easier. Um, Chapter 11 is challenging, um, but I'm not aware of denominations splitting over chapter 11, but that is not the case with chapters 12, 13, and 14. You may be thinking, what's... What in the world is so controversial about spiritual gifts? Well, when one of those gifts is the gift of speaking in tongues, then we begin to see how spiritual gifts, at least the gift of tongues, has divided conservative theology, maybe even this room. Um, So my aim this morning is not to dive too deep into the topic of speaking in tongues. Uh, Paul expounds greatly on tongues in chapter 14, so we will wait until we get to 14 to address that controversial topic. My aim today is to help us better understand why God has given us these gifts, um, what each gift is for, and which gifts are still relevant for us today. So with that brief introduction, let's dive into our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given them the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to the For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, if you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, the various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. God, may you be glorified by the reading of your word. May we be um, challenged and encouraged this morning. Um, to have a deeper love for you, uh, to trust you more. Lord, may this passage help us to understand how we have been uniquely created. May we have a deeper appreciation for the bride of Christ, uh, the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your kindness, your mercy. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this begins this new section of this letter. Um, we know it begins a new section because of how Paul starts out in verse 1 with this now concerning. Um, he's used this phrase six times already in this letter. And each time that he used the phrase now concerning, he addresses a new topic. So we know that this is a new topic. Um, it seems like um, these topics were all things that the Corinthians maybe had questions about. And so maybe in this letter they were writing to um, Paul Asking questions, and this is Paul replying to some, of their, um, to some of their questions. And we don't know what specific questions they had about spiritual gifts, because he doesn't really come out and say, because you said this, um, all we can do is see what Paul writes about and then assume that he is addressing one of their questions. Um, and it seems like they must have had a lot of questions about spiritual gifts, um, where their questions maybe concerned Paul because this is where Paul spends most of his time. Out of all the topics that he addresses, this has the most um, verses. Three chapters, 12 through 14. So let's look back to verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one, is, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Notice the audience here. He's reminding us who he's writing to. He's writing to brothers, or what we'd call the overall church family. Brothers, sisters, you may even have a footnote saying sisters. And this is not written to just the elders. This is a really important clue for us. His audience is the congregation. Uh, we also see from the way Paul words verse 1 that that makes it seem like the Corinthians had some major misunderstandings when it comes to spiritual gifts. And because this is such an important topic, Paul does not want them to be uninformed. So he pauses, he, he, he begins to expound greatly on this idea of 
spiritual gift. Um, he begins to give them proper understanding of what these spiritual gifts are in verse 4. He says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So here we see Paul begin to unpack how they should understand spiritual gifts. I think spiritual gifts is also something that all, you know, many of us, we, we misunderstand. You know, is a spiritual gift the same as a skill or a passion, or is it different? First, I want you to see that there's a variety of gifts. There's not just one. This variety creates diversity in the church. We're not all gifted the same way. I think God is showing us here how we're all created with the same image, the same value, the same likeness, but he has uniquely gifted each one of us. He didn't gift us all the same gift. We are unique. We also see that Paul is Trinitarian in how he understands these giving of the gifts. I don't know if you noticed this, but he says there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. There are a variety of services but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities but the same God. Spirit, Son, Father here. These verses show us that the Trinity is working together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one yet distinct. Okay? He's painting a picture. Paul uses the Trinity here to teach us something about the church. That we should have diversity among our unity. See, this is the opposite of how our culture thinks. Our culture wants us to have unity in our diversity. You know, let's celebrate our differences. But at the end of the day, everyone is just frustrated and no one's happy. Everyone is viewed as being intolerant of each other. Diversity only really works well when it's centered on a unifying purpose. And Paul is saying that the mission of the church should be this unifying purpose, that we, the church, come together as one to push back the darkness, to advance God's kingdom, and then in turn the church will be given these unique gifts to make this happen. Verse 7 shows us one of the reasons why the church receives these gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It seems like the Corinthians were using these gifts on themselves. But here we see that the, man, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Why? For the common good. This means that the gift that is given to you, it's not for you. It's for everyone. When you think about Christmas. Christmas, someone gives you a gift. Let's say they bought you a pair of shoes. Listen, you don't have to bring those shoes in and share them with everyone. In fact, we don't want you to share your shoes. They're yours. Keep them. But the gifts that God has given to you, they have some contingencies upon them. The contingency is that you would use them for the common good, not on yourself. They're for everyone. And then to show the congregation what this looks like, Paul gives a number of examples of these variety of gifts. He lists nine gifts that God can give. But these nine gifts are not an all-complete, inclusive list of these spiritual gifts. They're just some of the gifts that God gives us. Let's look at these gifts together. Verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same 
Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. A little later in this chapter, Paul will list several more gifts that God has given to the church. Paul's whole point here is that everyone has something and nobody has everything. Okay, these gifts are shared. We see this theme here, to one is given, to another is given. We see to one wisdom, to another knowledge, to another healing, to another faith. Paul is not talking about saving faith here. I think that's important to bring up. A better understanding of this would be someone who believes that God can do the impossible things. That's what this means by faith here. Um, so faith is a gift to another healing, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So these gifts are not like Christmas gifts. You don't make a wish list. Um, and then give it to the Holy Spirit. Um, then he checks the list if you're naughty or nice. Um, but rather he apportions them. He gives to each as he best sees fit. So it seems like the Corinthians, they were using these gifts on themselves. Paul corrects them by saying these gifts are for the common good. It's not to be used on yourself. Then in verse 12, Paul gives an illustration to help us better understand this truth. So here he gives this metaphor, this example, this illustration, and it's beautiful. It's, um, it's incredible. It's, in fact, something that we actually call ourselves now. We call ourselves the body of Christ. This is where it comes from. It's probably one of the best metaphors that we can help understand the, what, what is the church. It's a body. He says in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any sense. It would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see this theme? One body, many members. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving 
greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I think it's so easy for us to, um, when you see someone down, um, when they're suffering, I think it's easier to suffer sometimes with someone. We can weep with them. But what's strange to me as I just watch life happen, I think it's interesting that people have a harder time celebrating with others when something goes well. Have you ever noticed that? Like when someone's going through a hard time, you, know, you can kind of empathize with them. But when things are going well, like it's really, sometimes it's harder for us to be excited for them. Why doesn't that happen to me? And so you see this division going on when we don't think of ourselves as one body. The point of this illustration, it's not too difficult to understand, and it's, I think it's pretty brilliant. The basic point is found in the very first line of verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the, bo- and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. The body is a brilliant metaphor for the church because it clearly demonstrates the idea of diversity in our unity. We have one body. But this one body has different parts, and each part has a different function. So it should be us. We are one body, but we're many members. In each of our members, we have different functions. We see here that our unity does not destroy our diversity. In fact, our oneness depends on our manyness. All of us have different gifts, and the body will only thrive when we each use our gifts for the common good of each other. Um, some of you know that I was in the military and there are many parts of the military I love one of the parts that I did not love is the military does not on purpose allow you to be you okay there's no uniqueness to you you all dress the same you march the same you talk the same Um, and so I struggled I wanted to be me God created me but you know the army will use a phrase like the army of one we want you all to be the same think the same do the same It's not the case in the church. We want you to be different. We want you to be you. In fact, this is where you come alive as you when you're part of the church. The Corinthians had no problem understanding diversity. They knew that they were different. Um, They celebrated that they were different. This was the type of church that would judge you as soon as you'd walk into the gathering. They'd see you come in to the gathering and just, look, you're different. You're not like me. I'm better than you. So you'd feel judged. I pray that was not your response this morning. If you're a guest this morning, you came in, maybe this first time you visited with us, I pray that you have not felt judged or put down. We want to make much of you. We think you're important, that you have value, worth. It seems like some of the Corinthians thought their spiritual gifts made them superior to others. But Paul challenges this kind of thinking when he personifies these body parts. Um, As I'm... Yeah, I'm kind of weird. You guys know that about me. When I'm preparing this and thinking this through, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like when the eye cannot say to the hand in verse 21, I'm thinking like who would play that role? Like what voice? You know, I, my kids, we, we love to watch, you know, all the cartoon movies and they all have these voices and you try to, you know, I think that's Matthew McConaughey or I think that's who plays the eye? You know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I don't know what voice to use there. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. The body needs hands and feet, eyes and ears. Um, we have 78 organs in our body, 206 bones that each work together to make the body work properly. We don't need a body that's just an eye or just a brain. You know, the brain would get frustrated because the legs wouldn't do what the brain would tell them to do because there are no legs, just the brain. But when the brain and legs work together, you have something beautiful happening. In a similar way, if everyone was a teacher but no one served, you wouldn't make much impact on the city. Bodies and churches only thrive when every member is working together for the same purpose. I love how Paul even makes much of the parts of the body that usually gets ignored, which can happen in a church. Sadly, that can happen. How many of you woke up this morning and you just thanked the Lord for your liver? I'm seeing no hands whatsoever, none of you. You're all so unthankful people. <laughs> but bad things happen to you when you don't have a liver. Paul challenges us not to make much of gifts that are visible and impressive, gifts like preaching and teaching, but then belittle the gifts that are invisible, gifts like helping and praying. I love that we're giving a whole night just a prayer. Like we need prayer. See, you can survive without an eye or a hand, but not without a liver. So no one should think that they are superior to others. Every member is needed, even the small ones or the ones that go unnoticed like a liver. Let me make a few applications on this section. First, don't belittle the gift that has been given to you. See, some of you think, ah, I don't really have any gifts. And maybe it's like this humble thing that you're doing. But some of you really maybe believe it. Like, man, I just don't have any gifts. Um, if you really believe that, then you are essentially calling God a liar here. God says in this chapter that these gifts are given to each one of you. If you are in Christ, then you have been given some gift. This word each means each. Every individual here receives something. If you would be just faithful to use your gift, your gift would help this church grow in maturity. Notice I said maturity, not numerically. But maybe you don't know what your gift is. I think that's where some of you probably fit in. If that is you, then ask your closest friends. Go to them, those who know you the best. Ask them, you know, hey, what do you think my spiritual gifts would be? I'm just trying to process. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want God to use my life. So go to your friends. Let them like say, you know, I see these things in you. I think you're really good at this. See how God has gifted you in this. Um, if you don't have closest friends that you feel comfortable doing that with, find some of the prophets in this church. They will tell you the truth. Um, we have people in this church, they love truth. They'll tell you all about what you do great, and some of them will tell you what you don't do so great. Uh, so just ask them, but, you know, just be ready, because they're going to be honest with you. You can also get on the internet. 
And you can Google spiritual gift tests. Um, if you go this route, I would encourage you to do many of those. Like, do like three or four different ones. Some of them are really bad. Um, so you can find many good ones, though. And, but do several. That way you can see, like, you know, some similarities between them all. Um, it's also important that you are content in how God has apportioned, how he has given you certain gifts. Um, believe that God knows best. And he's going to give you the gifts that he believes will best help serve this church in his greater purpose. Don't compare your gifts with others and then become jealous or discontent because their gift is more visible than yours. Uh, the second application is that you shouldn't belittle the gifts of someone else. Don't become prideful like the Corinthians may have become and begin to look down upon others. Paul would say that this is like the eye looking to the hand and thinking it no longer needs it. Verse 27, Paul makes it really clear how you fit into all of this. Verse 27 says, you, now, you, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has apportioned, or God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping ministrating in various kinds of tongues. Then, as he has often done in this letter, he begins this series of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still, um, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So these rhetorical questions should be this emphatic, no, of course God doesn't make us all prophets, all teachers, all work miracles, so on, so on. So how do you fit in? Well, verse 27 says that you are members of the body. The body needs you. you know, my body needs my hands, my feet. You are important here. You have value and worth. We also see here that Paul gives us a few more gifts to add to his list from earlier. And he does something here that might appear <laughs> to contradict um, his earlier argument. Did, did you notice that there appears to be some sort of ranking? Did you catch that? And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, ministrating various kinds of tongues. You know, when we see words like first, second, third, we naturally think ranking, Right? If we were going to come, if we we're going to do a race, which that would be fun to do, an HCC race, who would come in first? Well, if it's any farther than forty yards, I'm not going to be in first. <laughs> um, but you know, who would be first? Who would be second? And we would make much of the one who came in first. So is that what Paul's doing here? Are the gifts equal or not, Paul? It does seem like Paul believes that some gifts take precedence over others. He even encouraged you here to desire the higher gift, even though we should be content at the same time with the gift we have. If we stick to the body metaphor that he's been using, I think what is going on here, Paul is saying uh, that the bodies, like, we're all parts, are equally valuable. And equally part of the body. But there are some parts that you simply cannot live without. 
a liver, a heart, and some that you can live without. It might make some things difficult, but we can live without an eye or a hand or hair. You can live without those. And then grammatically, it doesn't seem like all these gifts are ranked, but maybe just the first three. There's two reasons why I think this. Um, first, he drops the word then. Did you notice that? Like, then, you know, has this idea of ranking, but then, he, but then he stops using the word then. And he also, I don't know if you noticed this, he flips some of the order. In this section, he lists miracles and then healing. So you would think, well, miracles would be a greater gift than healing. But in, back in verse 9, earlier, he lists healing and then miracles. So I, I don't think he's ranking here as like we would think ranking. I think, I think here he's, he's showing us these first three are ranked, and I'll, I'll explain why I think that. And then the rest, I think he's just listing. I think the better question, though, at this point is not so much are these gifts being ranked, but are these gifts still present for the church today, or have they ceased? Should we still expect miracles, healings, prophecy, and tongues, yes, in a Baptist church today, or are those gifts that were given only to help the church kind of get started? Are there still apostles and prophets, or did those offices come to a close? The theological terms or phrases for this discussion, it's cessationism versus continuationism. Have they ceased to exist, cessationism, or they continue to be relevant for us today? A cessationist would say that some of these gifts have ceased. They wouldn't say they've all ceased, but some of these have ceased. That God only used these certain gifts to get the church off the ground, and now those gifts cease. Basically, usually they would say when the apostles died out. When the scripture was done being written, apostles died out, certain gifts ceased to exist. A continuationist says nothing's changed. These gifts were given to the church to use during the church age, and we are still in the church age, and so these gifts are still present for us today. And this is what makes this these camps tricky. Both sides have good, godly men and women who love the Bible. John Calvin, cessationist. So is John MacArthur. But not all Johns are sensationists. John Piper, surprisingly, is a continuationist. Um, and after reading many different articles on each position and how each position is the right position and how the other is wrong... What I realize is they're not that far apart as they think they are. A lot of the differences, I think, can be reconciled if they would just sit in the same room together and agree on their definitions. Because you read all of this, and I'm like, okay, that sounds a lot like what they're saying, what these people are concerned with, so are they. So, for example, a cessationist says that there's no more apostles and prophets. I think that's probably a pretty good thing. Thing. Um, the reasoning is, is, it's a good one. The reasoning is apostles had the authority to write scripture. Since the Bible is completed, then we don't need any more apostles and prophets, right? We, there's no more scripture being written. It's done. The Bible is perfect. It's sufficient for us. 
In fact, I get the heebie-jeebies when someone, when someone says to me, like, you know, God told me to tell you. I'm like, oh, please. Like, the next thing comes out of your mouth better be Scripture. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, the cessationist would say, look at this. See, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So cessationists would say, we don't need any more prophets. We don't need apostles. But what does Paul mean when he says apostle and prophet? Does he mean the office of apostle like Paul, like Peter? Or does he mean something different like the function? I believe Paul's not appointing new capital A apostles like Paul would be, Peter, disciples. But I believe he's establishing the function of an apostle. Let me explain. And I, I didn't see this in any commentary, so I'm, I get nervous when I step out, find something new, because that's dangerous ground. It's probably not new. But I'm blown away by this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, so it's the same author, that's right, you know, 1 Corinthians, same author, writing to the same congregation. In verse 28, or verse 23 of chapter 8, we see this. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Um, the word messenger there. Um, some of you maybe in your Bible have a footnote. You looking down, you see footnotes. Anybody have a footnote there? No one? No one sees it? You got, okay, one. One person has footnote. The ESV has a footnote. And if you look down at the bottom, it says, in the Greek, apostle. That word messenger is the exact same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, verse 28, where it's translated apostle. I find that to be, that's very interesting. So, in chapter 12, one of the gifts could have been first messengers. The translators could have done that and they would have been fine writing first. Instead of writing first apostles first, they could have said messengers first. If you understand what is needed for a church to begin to grow, you quickly realize you need a lot of messengers. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You will be my witness. What is a witness? It's someone who speaks about something that they've seen or heard. So a witness has this message. What is the message for us? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when will you be my witness? Don't miss this from Acts 1. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Could Jesus be talking about this manifestation of these gifts? That first, you're going to be these messengers. You're going to be gifted this. I don't know. Maybe. It doesn't seem out of line with what God is doing here. So I don't think we have to throw away all these gifts just because we might get weirded out by how we see them being abused today. And that would be where I need to confess this morning. Um, 
Like, for example, we're not going to have a position in this church called apostles, all right? We have, we have elders. We have deacons. Those are the biblical offices we see from Scripture. Then we have committees, which we're going to recognize those this morning a little later in service. Um, but we're not going to have one. We're going to nominate el- uh, apostles. <laughs> um, we're, just, we're not going to do that. But to say, like, there's... No apostles, messengers, no prophets or prophecies, miracles, healings. What do we mean by those terms? I clearly think God is still healing. James chapter 5 tells us that. That if someone is sick, you go to the elders and they pray over you and you may be healed. What is that? That's some kind of healing. Now, do I think we need to have like a, some prayer cloth that I lay over you and that's you know, I think steps outside, but can God still heal us today? I think yes. So I think some of this is like we're defining terms here. So to say like no apostles, no prophets, no miracles, no healings, have to be consistent here, you know, even tongues, that's part of this group. I think we have to be really careful when we tell God he cannot do something that is not absolutely clear from Scripture that he cannot do. We also need to be careful when we try to justify anything that makes us feel uncomfortable, that we cannot easily explain. And I think far too many cessationists fit into this camp, and that would often describe me as well. Just because it feels weird to me, sometimes I can say, well, I just don't think that, we just don't do that today. Well, why? Because it just makes me feel weird? That's not fair to Scripture. Just because I don't understand it, or just because I think most people have a terrible understanding of something, like tongues, doesn't mean um, that I can just write it off and tack a couple Bible verses to it and say, see, God doesn't do this anymore. I think it's a good idea to assume that a New Testament passage still applies to us unless it is clear from the context that it doesn't um, apply to us. And because Paul was writing to brothers, remember that? To these brothers, he doesn't write just to these apostles. He's writing to brothers and not this unique group in the church. I think we are best off assuming that he is talking about all Christians, even Christians today. Ironically, though, we have a chapter where Paul was trying to unite the body of Christ. But sadly, many have used this very chapter to Divide the body of Christ. Isn't that crazy? I think Paul would want us to leave this morning being overwhelmed with the kindness of the Lord. The Lord has been so kind to give you a place to fit in, uh, a gift to use, to where you can belong. You are part of the body. Um, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to explain, you know, what does it mean, this these tongues. What does prophecy mean? Uh, we have to wrestle with these topics. Um, we also see God's kindness here by him giving you this gift that you can contribute. You can make a difference by using your gift. Um, and then greater, if we want to do rankings here, greater than any of these gifts that he has given us, Jesus Christ has given himself to us. Jesus is the greatest gift, and he freely offers himself to you this morning. Jesus died, 
rose from the dead so that you could belong to this body. You might not fit in anywhere else out in the world, but when you are in Christ, you are a member of this body, and we need each other. That truth is what unifies us. It unites us as a family. We're unified around that truth, and then we celebrate our diversity. As I look out in this room, I see incredible people with different giftings. I'm so thankful for you. You don't need 100 me's. That would be terrible. Um, we need each one of you. Um, we all make the body together. So I'm going to be in the back. Um, and if you would like to know more about how to become a follower of Christ, if you'd like to know more about who this Jesus is, or if you just need some prayer, maybe something's not going right in your life, you just need, you just need someone to pray with you. I would love to be that for you. I'd love just to pray with you. I'll just be in the back over here. So let me pray for us as the band comes back up to lead us this morning. Um, Lord, this morning I am thankful that um, you've given us the greatest gift ever. We didn't deserve Christ. Um, We didn't deserve to have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. But Lord, you've apportioned um, fully upon us um, Christ, Holy Spirit, And then, Lord, you have lavished upon us these gifts. And, Lord, I pray that we would not use them on ourselves, but that we would use them to further your purposes. Lord, help us to be a unified body that this morning, this passage doesn't divide us, that the cessationists find their little group and hang out and talk about how the continuationists are wrong and vice versa. Lord, I pray that we would be unified, that we would see how there's still gifts that, um, that we need to use for each other, not on ourselves. Uh, so, Lord, I pray that we would be um, a healthy body, that we wouldn't cut off our limbs just because we think we don't need them. Lord, may we, may we take care of our bodies. May we take care of the parts that are hurting, that are wounded. May we care for them. May we bring them back uh, to health. So, Lord, I pray now if there's someone in this room that feels like they're not a part of the body, that, that today would be the day that they would surrender their life to you, that they would confess their sin, and they would be, um, become part of, of, of this body, um, find worth and value in their life. So I pray that you would just convict them, convict us all of our sins, or lead us uh, uh, to repent. May we trust you more today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.